I've shared with you before that I didn't get serious about my Christian walk until I was 19 years of age. I was in Israel on a summer teen mission and we were tasked with building a chicken house for an Arab Christian orphanage for boys just outside of Bethlehem. And part of our mandated schedule was personal time with the Lord for an hour every morning. Well, I'd never done that before. And I grew up in the church, and I went to Sunday school, and I was baptized, and I went to worship services, and I went to youth group, but I'd never done this thing of time with God on my own. So I didn't know what I would do. And I think they had this little guide that said, start with a little prayer asking God to speak to you, read a portion of the Bible, and then write something down in response. And I thought, this is going to be boring and a waste of time. Instead, I discovered a whole new world of relationship with God. He spoke and revealed so much about himself in those times together that it whetted my appetite for more of God going forward. And that forced habit of time with God for the 60 or so days that we were together that summer changed my life. Now, I can't say I've had time with God every day since then, nor can I say that this habit is the key to the Christian life because God is the key to the Christian life. God is our greatest need. But for me, practicing such a habit connected me to my greatest need, God himself. Of course, life brings multiple challenges and changes. In college and university, there are times when you eat and breathe and sleep school. And there were times during those times where I didn't have time with God. Or if you get married and you have young children, all of a sudden these little people invade your lives. And sometimes there's sickness and sometimes there's great difficulty at work or bereavement. So there's all kinds of things that can impact our schedule and habit. Yet I have found my desire and need for God increasing over the years. I need to connect with God. I need to pray to God. I need to hear from God. And so my question for you today is, what about you? Where are you at in your walk with God? And I know that's a very personal question, but I'm a pastor allowed to ask. And I'm talking about making time to pray, to read God's word, to reflect on it, to listen for God's guidance. And some of us might see such a practice as just another thing to do. We can't find time to get done the basic things of life, let alone set aside more time for God. Or some might hesitate because they've tried this and it feels like a chore. Or it feels like nothing happens. You read, some of it's boring, some of it's hard to understand, some of it's offensive even, some of it's irrelevant, and you feel like you're praying into a black hole where nothing happens or you get nothing back. And if those are our experiences, it's understandable why we would hesitate. But what if God desired to connect with us and communicate with us? And what if we could hear from him? 
And today, we are going to look at an example of God speaking directly to a person. And as we look at this person, we're going to learn two very practical ways to connect with God and increase the likelihood of hearing from him. And I pray that God might use this today to maybe draw us closer to him because he is drawing near to us. So our passage today is found in the Old Testament book called 1 Samuel, if you want to find that in your Bibles, or it's in the Bibles that we have for you, and it's on page 204 in the Bibles we have. So 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 3 is the way it looks. And as we go through this passage, I want to invite you to watch or listen for words like vision, sight, ears, and word. Okay, 1 Samuel 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, Here I am. And Eli, Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. 
And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. In all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So these events happened maybe a thousand or eleven hundred years before the time of Christ. Israel has settled into the promised land. Moses and Joshua are long gone. God appointed judges to watch over the nation. And you can read about that in the book of Judges. And God also established a priesthood that guided the people spiritually. A large tent called a tabernacle served as the central sanctuary for worship for the people. And they placed the Ark of the Covenant inside the most holy place in the middle of the tabernacle. In the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments and some other uh, memorials of Israel's history. And the high priest and his sons were charged with looking after the tabernacle and leading the nation in spiritual faithfulness to the Lord. And at this time, a guy named Eli holds the position of high priest. A few years before our passage, a woman named Hannah comes to the tabernacle and she is without child and she prays and asks for God to give her a son. And she promises that if God will honor this request, she will give the son back to serve at the tabernacle. God answers her prayer and she gives birth to a boy named Samuel. And at a young age, she brings the boy back to the tabernacle to serve under Eli's leadership and mentorship. So he lives at the tabernacle, it seems. And the passage begins with the information that Samuel is ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Notice in verse 1 it calls him a boy, so it is likely he is under 12 years of age. And his responsibility is to help with the duties to keep the tabernacle functioning. And then we come to a key sentence at the end of verse 1. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Well, that's remarkable. Eli and Samuel are ministering in the house of the Lord. Eli's the high priest and the word of the Lord is rare. And there's no frequent vision. Something is terribly wrong when the Lord doesn't speak or appear at the central sanctuary of worship. And notice the reference to words and vision in verse 1. And then in verse 2, we read, At that time, Eli, whose eyesight, vision, had begun to grow dim, he could not see and was lying down in his place. So note the reference to eyesight and dimness and not seen. So Eli's physical eyesight is declining, but it seems like the narrator is also saying his spiritual vision or eyesight is declining. He did not hear from the Lord. He received no revelation from the Lord. Why? Well, 1 Samuel 2 tells us why. In verses 12 to 17 of 1 Samuel 2, we discover Eli has worthless sons in the eyes of God. They are priests. They robbed the people of their sacrifices. So the people would bring their meat for sacrifice and the priests would live off the food that the people brought for sacrifice and they would cut off more of the meat than they were entitled to, thereby robbing the people of 
their allotted portion. So these sons put in system a place or a system of corruption. On top of that, in 2 verse 22, these sons had inappropriate relations with women who served at the tabernacle. And this is at Israel's central sanctuary of worship. So the Lord is not going to speak or give visions to priests living in rebellion against him. And to Eli's credit, he confronts his son in chapter, sons in chapter 2 verses 23 to 25. He rebukes them, but he fails to remove them from their role and technically the law said they should be put to death and of course no parent wants to see see their child executed on most days we don't let alone order it yet he doesn't even remove them from ministering at the temple So everyone knows the priests rob the people and engage in immoral behavior at Israel's central sanctuary of worship. Then a man of God confronts Eli with this in chapter 2, verses 27 to 36, and he proclaims the Lord will remove the priesthood from Eli's family. So Eli is going blind physically and spiritually Yet there is reason for hope, for in verse 3, the lamp of God has not yet gone out. And this lamp was lit as darkness came. They placed it outside the veil before the most holy place, which contained the ark. It burned every day from evening to morning. And what do lamps do? They dispel darkness so that people can see So even though Eli's eyesight has grown dim, the lamp of God still burns. And Samuel lies down near the lamp. Eli lies down somewhere else, apparently in the tabernacle. And then in verse 4, the Lord calls Samuel. And he hears the Lord's voice but thinks it's Eli. So he runs to Eli and says, here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, I didn't call you, so go back and lie down again. And then the Lord calls Samuel a second time by name and he goes to Eli and he says, here I am for you called me. And Eli responds with a term of endearment in verse 6. I did not call my son. Lie down again. Well, Eli already has sons. Yet they have wandered far from the Lord. This young apprentice seems different. And then the narrator provides us with another crucial detail, verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Well, how is that possible? He ministers in the house of the Lord. How can he not know the Lord? Well, Eli is not close to the Lord, so he cannot teach Samuel how to know the Lord. And notice both served the Lord in the house of the Lord and they didn't know the Lord. And then the Lord calls a third time and Samuel goes to Eli and says, here I am for you called me. And Eli finally perceives this is the Lord's voice. And remember the word of the Lord was rare in the days of Eli. So maybe he's rusty in discerning the Lord's voice. Finally, he discerns it and he instructs Samuel, if he calls you, you shall say, speak Lord for your servant hears. And Samuel goes and lies down again. 
And then the Lord comes again, and this time it seems like he appears in a vision. For in verse 10 we read, And the Lord came and stood, calling as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responds with almost complete compliance to Eli's instructions. Eli said, When he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And Samuel says, Speak, for your servant hears. Maybe Samuel is afraid to use the the Lord's name. Maybe because he does not know the Lord, he's not going to call him by name, but he does say he's going to listen. And the Lord speaks, and notice the ears again in verse 11. Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hear it will tingle. Ears, hears. This action of the Lord will shock people so that they might even say things like, I can't believe my ears. And Eli and his house will be brought down by the Lord. Eli, or the Lord says, I am going to fulfill and carry out my words of bringing down Eli's house. He will permanently remove them from the priesthood because of the son's sins and Eli's failure to restrain them, to hinder their continued involvement in the priesthood. And he says there will be no atonement for their sin forever. And we look at that and say, oh man, God is being harsh with these people. Why isn't he showing mercy? Well, this has gone on for years. Back in chapter 2, verse 22, we read, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing. So it's not like Eli's some middle-aged guy who has just heard that his sons might be doing something that's questionable. It's been going on for years and years, and though Eli rebuked them, he never removed them. Can you imagine the spiritual damage that was done to the nation when it was being led by these rebellious priests? And so the Lord is going to wipe out Eli and his family. And how's that? For the first word that Samuel will hear from the Lord, I am going to wipe out your mentor and his family. Verse 15, Samuel lay until morning, which was likely not too long, since the lamp of of God was just about out. But notice he doesn't run to Eli to give him the word of what was said. And then he gets up and he goes about his normal duties and he opens the doors, maybe thinking, was that real? Was that really the Lord? Maybe it was just like some weird dream. But ironically, Eli won't let him get away with that. Eli calls, and this time it is him, and Samuel answers, here I am. And then Eli threatens Samuel. He asks, what did the Lord say? And then he calls down a curse on Samuel if he doesn't tell him the whole truth. Now, why would Eli do that? And maybe it's because he suspected the word was about him since the Lord didn't talk to him directly. And maybe he's been thinking about this fact that he did not restrain his sons and he knows a day of reckoning is coming. And so he insists that Samuel tell him everything. And at this moment, Samuel has a choice. Will he faithfully communicate the word of the Lord? Eli called him son 
in the night. He's called him son again. He's like family to Samuel, and Eli's example is you put family before God. So what will Samuel do? Will he withhold some of the word out of loyalty to his family, Eli, or will he tell the whole word? Verse 18, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And to his credit, Eli humbly receives the Lord's word. And Samuel's faithfulness sets the trajectory for his life. So in verse 19, Samuel grows and the Lord is with him and lets none of his words fall to the ground, which means that the Lord fulfilled every word that Samuel said because Samuel spoke the word of the Lord and then the Lord would fulfill it. And then news spreads that there's a new prophet in Israel and it spreads from Dan in the far north to Beersheba in the far south. There's a new prophet in Israel. His name is Samuel. And then verse 21 beautifully ties this passage together. Remember verse 1? The word of the Lord was rare and there were no frequent visions. Verse 21, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So we've gone from word of the Lord rare to word of the Lord frequently because Samuel listened to the Lord. A new spiritual era begins in Israel, and it starts with Samuel's willingness to listen to the Lord. So, what are the ways that we can hear from the Lord more practically today? Simply from this passage, number one, we must adopt the posture of a humble listener. A humble listener. Samuel had to learn this. He didn't recognize the Lord's voice, but then he took a posture of listening humility. Speak, for your servant is listening. And you and I can adopt this posture of humble listening to the Lord, and it starts by spa making space in our lives to hear. And that's part of what we've been talking about with Sabbath. Sabbath is one way to make space in your life to hear from the Lord. If we're clicking through life, going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, it's very unlikely we're going to hear from the Lord because we're so busy Humble listening involves stopping, taking time, and closing our mouths. Because if we're doing all the talking, it's very unlikely that we'll be doing any listening. And we listen to what God says, and we take it in, and we think about God's word, and we ponder it, and we ask clarification for it. And how does this fit in my life? But we do also have to think about what we mean by hearing God's voice. And when you think about hearing someone's voice, for most of us, the answer is, well, I hear them talking out loud. I hear them talking out loud. And that's exactly what happened to Samuel. He heard the Lord talking out loud. So Samuel heard God's voice with his ears, and I think we crave that. We wish God would answer our prayers out loud all the time. And we may think that the only way that we know we've heard God's voice is if we hear it with our ears. And I'm not discounting that possibility. Some of you may testify you've heard God's voice at some point in your life. 
But we must not limit the definition of hearing God's voice to hearing a sound with our ears. Because if we think that, we might miss much of what God has to say to us and his word for us, where he speaks to us in our minds. He speaks to us through other people and speaks to us through his written word. Hebrews 4, 12, for example. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. And I cannot count the number of times that God has spoken to me through a verse in the Bible that pierced my soul. It exposed some sin or assured me of his presence or spoke to me of his love or confronted a bad attitude. Or more accurately, I should say, he confronted my bad attitude. He exposed my sin. He assured me of his presence. He spoke to me of his love because we err if we think that the Bible is somehow a separate thing from God himself. Tim Keller in his book on prayer points out the difference between human words and action compared to the Lord's words and action. When we think of humans and their words and actions, we separate the two. We look at what someone said. Okay, they said that. They said they were going to do that, but will they really do it? And we do that, don't we? At times we say we're going to do something and then we don't. And so we've been trained. Oh yeah, a person said something, but are they really going to do it? And so we separate word and action. But Keller explains this is impossible with respect to God. He writes, our words need deeds to back them up and can fail to achieve their purposes. God's words, however, cannot fail their purposes. Because for God, speaking and acting are the same thing. The God of the Bible is a God who by his very nature acts through speaking. And we saw this last week when Jesus was healing the man who was an invalid for 38 years by the pool. Jesus said, get up, take up your mat and walk. And through speaking, the man was healed. So speaking and acting were the same thing for Jesus. He didn't go touch the man. He didn't go lay his hands on him. He spoke and healed through his words. And there are times where there is a gap between God's word and his act, acting to fulfill his word, but he never fails to keep his word, unlike we humans. So think about how that might change our approach to the Bible. Instead of picking it up and hoping we get something out of it we're connecting to the one who said it and acts through it which means that every time we go to the bible potentially we could hear the voice of god hear from god so we need to adopt this posture of humble listening 
when we're out for a walk, when we're sitting down to pray, especially when we take up the Bible to read. And then the other practical and simple step to continue to hear from God is to obey the Lord's voice. Obey the Lord's voice. And it seems that obedience to the Lord is necessary for us to continue to hear from him. Remember the man of God who confronted Eli with the fact that God was going to wipe out his family in chapter 2, verses 27 to 36. Well, look at what the Lord says in 1 Samuel 2, verse 35. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. Not just speak it, do it. And Samuel would have to do many hard things and instructions, carry out instructions from the Lord, including one time when he actually had to kill a king because the Israelite king was too afraid to do it. And Samuel had to do it. So Samuel not only heard, he did, he obeyed. And this is another piece of hearing from the Lord. If we hear from the Lord and he reveals something to us and then we don't do it, whatever it is he tells us, That's a snag in our relationship. And the Lord is going to go back to that thing and say, no, I told you about this thing and you haven't responded yet. And this is possible for you and me. We need to learn to approach God in a posture of humble listening and to learn how to obey his voice. But the problem is our natural sinful self does not want to do that. If we're comfortable in our sin, why would we want to hear from God's voice? To disturb our lives. So our natural sinful self does not want to do that. So it's not like we can just say today, oh, you know, I'm going to just start listening to God's voice and obeying him. No, that's not natural for us. We need strength. We need help. We need the Lord's power. And thankfully, Jesus listened to his father's voice and obeyed it by going to the cross so that through him and trusting in him and having faith in him, we receive the power, the desire to go and listen humbly to what the Lord has to say to us and then the power to carry it out. And so as we close today, I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer to Christ if you're a Christian here today. And it is, please empower me to humbly listen to and obey your voice. Please empower me to humbly listen to and obey your voice. So let's, let's come before the Lord now. Let's pray together. And Lord... We come before you and we recognize our need to hear from you. And we like to do a lot of talking. I do. In my prayers, I do a lot of talking and I tell you everything that's wrong. And then maybe if there's time, I might give you a minute to speak after I've been babbling away. But we need to make space and time, Lord, in our lives to hear from you. To have a posture of humble listening. And to receive from you the power and strength to obey. 
And so, Lord, I pray for that for us as a congregation, individually, as couples, as families, as friends, and as a congregation, as leadership, humbly listen to you and obey what you have to say for us. Thank you for intervening in this situation when your word was rare. Well, you found someone who would listen. And then you began to accomplish your purposes again. We pray that you will continue to do that among us, but help us to be and grow as humble listeners. For your word is good. Your word is life. You have the best in mind for us, and you want the best for us. Help us to believe it, to listen, and to obey. We pray this in your name. Amen.